for the first years of our kids' lives, we would read a story to them about a bunny who would say goodnight to just about everything in sight before he would be tucked into bed. And uh, that book was called Goodnight Moon by Margaret Wise Brown, pictures by Clement Hurd. We always said the names uh, with the title of that book to our kids when we read it. Margaret Wise Brown, pictures by Clement Hurd. Now, what you may not know is that an updated version of this book for adults has recently been offered, titled, get this, Goodnight Smartphone. It's the name of the book, and it has content like this. Goodnight, kittens. Goodnight, emails unwritten. Goodnight, clocks. Goodnight, inbox. Goodnight, worrying about weight loss. Goodnight, demanding boss. Good night, test for which I need to cram. Good night, Instagram. Now, we might think that that's just all kind of funny, this book coming out, but the reality is that saying good night is very, very important because sleep is actually a critical part of our life. It's one of the things that makes us human. It's common to everyone in this room this morning, and it's as necessary for us as breathing is. And yet with the invention of electricity and with light bulbs, it's possible for us now to routinely neglect essential hours of our sleep in favor of continued work and continued physical and mental activity. And so according to a BBC report, people are sleeping today about two and a half hours less than they did 100 years ago. Two and a half hours less every night on average than they did 100 years ago. And as a result, it may not surprise you then that last year the Centers for Disease Control declared sleep deprivation as a public health problem, estimating that about 30% of all adults get less sleep than they need. Less sleep than they need. Now, how much sleep you need is impacted by several factors, which would involve age and your amount of physical activity, as well as genetics. But you can find yourself on this chart. And you can see that almost everyone in this room needs at least seven hours of sleep a night on average. Most of us are somewhere between seven to nine hours or seven to ten hours on average. And as you look at this, despite what you might want to tell yourself, you're probably not statistically part of the group that can get by with less than this and not be negatively affected. And also, despite what some of you might want to be telling yourself at this point, Caffeine is not a substitute for sleep. And consuming caffeine is not an adequate compensation for getting a lack of sleep. Caffeine can't substitute for a lack of good sleep. Why is any of this important for us as Christians? Why should we care about this? Well, I mean, just on the surface of it, consider that we spend about a third of our lives doing this. And sleep affects all of our waking hours. One pediatric sleep doctor claims there's nothing in our daily lives that isn't negatively affected by sleep deprivation. Okay, but why address it from the pulpit instead of in a physician's office where it might be more likely? Well, here's, here's the reason. It's because sleep is God's idea. God is the author of our sleep. He created us to need sleep. God could have fashioned us in such a way that we wouldn't require sleep at all. 
but he didn't. And I find it intriguing to think about why didn't he? Why did God make us in such a way that we spend a third of our existence in an unconscious state, unproductive and dead to the world? Or is sleep actually a part of the fall, a result of the curse that is to be avoided? Well, admittedly, there's kind of a mystery that surrounds our sleep. But it's important for us to think about sleep biblically. Because sleep can teach us important things about ourselves, and it teaches us important things about God. And so we need to hear what sleep teaches us. We need to hear the message that sleep preaches. In other words, we need to hear sleep's sermon. And so that's what we're going to consider this morning. Sleep is mentioned frequently in the Psalms, and we're going to consider a number of them this morning. But we're going to start by looking at Psalm chapter 3. We're going to read the first five verses of Psalm chapter 3, noting explicitly the reference to sleep in verse 5. Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one of these in one of the racks in the chairs in front of you. And our text this morning can be found on page 255 of those Bibles, 255. Psalm chapter 3, Reading verses 1 through 5 again, noting especially verse 5. So let's stand now for the reading of God's word. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Now, just to be clear... Um, this morning, my aim is not to explore ways to improve the quality of our sleep. Uh, we may talk, talk about that in the self-care Sunday school in weeks coming up, but I recognize that some of you may have biological factors like sleep apnea that are causing sleep deprivation or insomnia, and you should see a doctor for those things, to rule those things out. Uh, I also recognize that maybe several of you in this room, maybe many of us in this room, need to exercise greater self-discipline in um, establishing healthy, consistent sleep patterns in your life. And part of that discipline is probably not learning to sleep longer, but getting to sleep earlier. That's part of where our failure of discipline comes in, is not getting to sleep and not lying down to sleep when we need to lie down to sleep. And I also recognize that for some of us, the problem is not sleep deprivation, but you might be sleeping too much. And so we would need to address that in a different way. But whatever your current patterns of sleep, we all need to hear sleep's sermon, truths that sleep preaches to us and summons us to embrace, beginning with this truth, and I'll try not to put you to sleep. <laughs> sleep, I couldn't resist that one. Sleep is a summons to humble ourselves. Sleep is a summons for us to humble ourselves. The need for sleep confronts us on a daily basis with the reality of our weaknesses and the reality of our creaturely limits 
constantly sleep is confronting us with our limitations. We're creatures. We're not the creator. We're human. We're not superhuman. Sleep is not something that's optional for us. Sleep is a necessity for us as creatures. We can only resist sleep for so long, usually only about 20 hours or so. And we are confronted urgently and strongly with our limits and our need for sleep. But of course, we can neglect getting adequate amounts of sleep each night for longer periods of time. And this is what can lead to something called chronic sleep deprivation, which is defined as getting less than six hours of sleep routinely on average. Less than six hours of sleep on average per night, leading to chronic sleep deprivation. This is why that's a problem. Research suggests that after only one week of sleep deprivation, it causes harm to our genes, to our brains, to our hearts. Sleep deprivation is associated with increased infections, strokes, cancer, high blood pressure, hunger and weight gain, anxiety, depression, and mood alterations such as irritability and rage that increase our relationships and generate conflicts. So there's all kinds of ramifications for this sleep deprivation, socially, individually, physically. Sleep deprivation impairs our physical performance by reducing our reaction time, strength, and stamina, and it impairs our mental and academic performance by decreasing our attention spans, problem-solving ability, accuracy, and our creativity. The cognitive impairment that results from staying awake for 24 hours straight is comparable to driving drunk. The cognitive impairment of being up for 24 straight hours is comparable to driving drunk. And I think for those of you that have ever stayed up for 24 hours straight, don't have difficulty believing that. It affects us a great deal. And don't be deceived this morning into thinking that God will somehow magically eliminate or remove those negative consequences of sleep deprivation if you're doing it in service to him. He can, but he usually doesn't. He doesn't remove those negative consequences. In fact, there are spiritual consequences to sleep deprivation as well. And perhaps the most important one is this. Resisting temptation is far, far more difficult when you're deprived of sleep. It's far more difficult to fight temptation when you're tired, when you're not getting enough sleep, which leads D.A. Carson to say this, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. And we can look at the other side of actually getting adequate sleep. This generally gives us a restoration of strength. It clears our minds. There's a reason why let me sleep on it is often a wise decision. Because our minds are cleared. Our strength is restored. We're reinvigorated to serve others and extend the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit for another day. And so sleep is a summons to humble ourselves by embracing our limits as creatures by getting the sleep that we need. But not only does sleep confront us with our limits, sleep also confronts us with our dependence. We cannot sleep as a mere act of the will. 
Any insomniac knows this. Anybody who's tried to get to sleep really fast because you have a small window of sleep knows that you cannot fall asleep as a mere act of the will. Like every other need we have, it has to be provided as a gift from God. God is the one who has to grant to us sleep. But sleep doesn't just confront us with our dependence in having God give us sleep. It confronts us with our dependence upon God as our provider. It confronts us with our dependence on someone else to provide for us. We can't work for 24 hours straight, seven days a week, to provide the things that we need for survival. At some point, we have to stop and allow God to provide for us in ways that we cannot provide for ourselves. Sleep confronts us with the fact that we are not in control. That we are not in control of that provision ultimately. I need God to keep my affairs in order. To watch over my possessions. To watch over my spouse and my children and my loved ones for eight hours while I'm checked out. And unresponsive to things. I need someone else to care for those things and attend to those things. And a third way sleep summons us to humble ourselves is it confronts us with the fact that we're expendable. The world is going to keep right on spinning with or without us when we're sleeping. God doesn't need us to keep things going. He doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes and plans for the universe. So sleep confronts us with all these things, our limits, our dependence, our expendability. And so in this way, Sleep is a summons for us to humble ourselves by recognizing our weakness, our limits, our dependence, and our expendability. It's interesting how neglecting sleep is often fueled by our pride and our fear. Pride that somehow, after all, we're not just human. We are superhuman. And we don't need sleep like other people need it. And fear on that we need to provide for ourselves. Sleep is often fueled, deprivation of sleep is often fueled by fear and by pride. But Charles Spurgeon sums it up well by saying, God gives us sleep to remind us that we're not him. God gives us sleep to remind us that we're not him. Which means there's also good news in sleep sermon. Because it can point us beyond our limits and our weakness and our dependence and our expendability to our creator. And so... Sleep is also a summons to honor the Lord. Sleep is a summons to honor the Lord. Consider that while sleep confronts us with our limits on a daily basis as creatures, as we grow weak and we grow tired, it can also drive us to our creator who alone is limitless in his strength, who never is weary, who never grows tired, who never sleeps, who never slumbers. The words of Psalm 121, 4 through 6 declare this. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The sun will not strike you by day because the Lord is watching over you. He's present and alert and watching over you. And the moon won't strike you by night because he's still watching over you. He's still awake. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's revealed here as the keeper of sleepers. He reveals himself here as the keeper of sleepers. And this really echoes what David says in our text in verse 5. I lay down and slept and I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. The Lord was my keeper. And because he's ever watchful 
and limitless in his resources and in his strength for us. We can trust him in our weakness. And in our dependence, we can trust in him to provide the things that we need to run the world, to look after our affairs and our possessions and to care for our loved ones as the sovereign king who loves us and as the one who works every shift. He's the only one who never takes a shift off. Watching over his children all day and all night, 24 hours, seven days a week, all the time. And so this is why the psalmist says in Psalm 127, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Notice here how sleep is recognized as a gift that God gives. But notice also that our sleep can be an expression of our trust in him as our provision. That's why it's vain to get up early and neglect sleep and to go to bed late and neglect sleep and eating this bread of anxious toil. It's vain to do that because we have a provider other than ourselves. And looking to this provider is the one who gives us sleep and all the things that we need. But not only is the Lord our provider, he's also our protector in sleep. Listen to the words of the psalmist in chapter 4, verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. It's possible to lie down and not sleep, right? But in peace, I will lie down and sleep. It's possible to lie down and sleep and not be peaceful either. But the psalmist says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's the protector. Trusting God as our provider and trusting him as our protector is what enables us to sleep in peace. Sleep, sleeping in peace requires us to believe that God is in control of things. And it requires us to trust him to care for us while we are at our most vulnerable. That's how we can lie down and sleep in peace. We have a provider. We have a protector. Recognizing this offsets our pride. We don't do these things for ourselves, but it also offsets our fears. We trust in the goodness of our creator to provide and to protect, and so we can lie down and sleep. The patterns of our sleep will often reveal whether we are honoring the Lord by submitting to him as our creator, by recognizing our creaturely limitations and getting the sleep we need. It will reflect whether we're honoring the Lord in submission to him, but our sleep patterns can also reveal whether we're trusting him to care for us. This is why Christian author David Murray says this, few things are as theological as sleep. Show me your sleep pattern and I'll show you your theology because we all preach a sermon in and by our sleep. We're preaching a sermon in how we sleep, but sleep woven into the fabric of creation is also preaching a sermon. And sleep's message to us is basically this. Someone other than you is your ultimate caregiver. That's the declaration of sleep. Someone other than you is your ultimate caregiver, the source of your power, your provider, your protector, and your peace. And so we need to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. What are your sleep patterns revealing about your theology? What does your sleep say you really believe about God? and who you trust. Who do you trust to provide for you? 
Who do you trust to protect you? Who or what enables you to rest and sleep in peace? And maybe another way to look at that is, what robs you of your sleep? What is it that's keeping you awake? Now, to be fair, there are going to be seasons or periods in our lives where we don't get the sleep that we need and we don't get the sleep that we want. There are periods of intense demands at work. We need to acknowledge that. There are periods of family dynamics where we're raising infants or toddlers and we're not getting the sleep that we need. But we shouldn't begin to look at these stages or these periods as normal. We shouldn't look at them as normal. And truthfully speaking, it's not usually necessity that's leading to our sleep deprivation. Oftentimes, it's our idolatry that leads to our sleep deprivation. Because what we're doing instead of sleeping can serve to shine a spotlight on idols in our lives. So another question we can ask ourselves is, for what will you routinely sacrifice sleep for? What will you routinely sacrifice sleep for? Is it the prospect of financial gain? Personal ambition? Work reputation? Academic success? Which can also be a way of prospective financial gain in the future? Is it exercise? Well, what does that say about the idols of our heart that we will sacrifice sleep for exercise or for entertainment, for sports, for gaming, for romance? Now, again, to be clear, that there are times where some of these things ought to take priority over sleep. Sometimes the things I mentioned should take priority over sleep because here's something important. Sleep itself can be an idol if, you'll, if you're never willing to sacrifice anything or you're never willing to sacrifice your sleep for anything. If you're never willing to sacrifice sleep for anything, sleep itself could be an idol for you. But if these things occasion chronic sleep deprivation, it's possible and maybe even probable that there's an idolatry issue operating at the level of your heart. And so sleep sermon is a summons to humble ourselves and it's a summons to honor the Lord by finding our peace and our rest in him and trusting him as our power, our provider, our protector, and our peace. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And that brings us to the third thing, and that is this. Sleep is a summons to hope in the gospel. How exactly does sleep summon us to hope in the gospel? Well, it's not to be missed that frequently in the scriptures, sleep is used as a reference to death. I mean, we don't even have to leave the Psalms to see this. Psalm chapter 13, verse 3 says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And just before the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, this is what Jesus says. He says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, He'll recover. I mean, if he's just sleeping, he'll, he'll, he'll just get up. But Jesus had spoken of his death when he said, Lazarus is asleep. But they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. And the Apostle Paul repeatedly uses sleep to refer to death in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is that great chapter on the resurrection of the body, which that becomes very instructive for us if we're to hear the fullness 
of sleep's sermon to us because the reason that the scriptures use sleep to refer to death so frequently is because sleep mirrors death. Our sleep mirrors death. That person in a casket looks like they're sleeping, right? We've probably all experienced that at some point. But it goes deeper than this. Sleep mirrors death in that neither are final. There is hope for life beyond the grave. You see, just as our bodies awaken from sleep, so our bodies will also awaken from death at the resurrection. Just as our bodies awake from sleep, our bodies will awaken from death. And so it's this biblical association that's part of sleep's, ser- part of sleep's sermon. The mystery of sleep, not really understanding everything that's going on there, and can, being confronted with those limitations helps us trust God in the face of the mystery of death, that unknown realm that we enter, but from which we will awaken to new life as a gift of God's goodness and grace. Notice again what David says in verse 5. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustains me. But there's a way in which David's words anticipate something more because sleep is mirroring, mirroring something more. And so we can affirm David's words, but we can with great confidence affirm even more than David. And that is this. We could say this. I lay down in death and I arose again for the Lord saved me. This is part of what sleep is anticipating and teaching us. But he saves us only in and through Jesus. God himself made flesh. Who on one dramatic occasion, remember, we read about him sleeping during a storm. He had to be woken up because he was sleeping. And this models for us the kind of peace and trust in the Father that we see reflected in the Psalms. But it does more than just model something for us. It also confirms for us the reality of the incarnation, that Jesus stepped into the fullness of our humanity and encountered the limits of our creatureliness. He entered the fullness of our humanity. He knows what it is to be a limited creature, limited, dependent. And so this is something we celebrate during the Advent season. Jesus becoming full humanity for us. And he did this not only so he could become a sympathetic and faithful high priest for us. He did do it for this. He knows what it is to need sleep. So he's a faithful and sympathetic high priest, but he did it for more than this. He did it so that he could on our behalf sleep the sleep of death by dying on the cross and paying what was necessary to atone for our sins, but then also rising again from the dead to summon us to hope in the gospel, that all who believe in Jesus will indeed awaken to new life in glory. So this gift of sleep and the sermon that sleep proclaims, it's available to everybody, not just to believers, but to unbelievers. I find it fascinating that even our animals need sleep. That's another topic to to consider. Even animals are sleeping. But this message is proclaimed to all of us, but only those who give their hearts to Jesus, only those who look to him who was crucified and risen from the sleep of death will awaken to new life in glory. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. 
the just to glory and the unjust to condemnation. And it's only those who are looking to Jesus and trusting him who will be counted just in him and his righteousness who awaken to new life and glory. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, then we would urge you this morning to humble yourself, to humble yourself before your creator and acknowledge that you're a sinner, that, that, that you're not a perfect person, that you do immoral and unrighteous things, that you think unrighteous thoughts, that you speak unrighteous words, and admit that you need a savior. And then we would encourage you to honor the Lord by trusting Jesus as your savior and find your hope in the gospel. But if you're here this morning and you are a believer, then Christian, let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves in the face of sleep by embracing our creaturely limitations with acceptance and with joy and with gratitude by getting the sleep that our bodies need. And let us do this in a way that honors the Lord as the one who ultimately is our power, is our provider, our protector, and our peace. And let us hear in this sermon of sleep and waking from it the hope of the gospel that Jesus has conquered the grave. And just as we rise from our sleep to experience new mercies every morning because of the goodness and grace of our God, so also we have the full confidence and hope that we will rise to new life in the resurrection through faith in our risen Lord Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel and it's the good news that sleep summons us to embrace. Let's pray.